The Steve Lobby Agency presents The Christian Publishing Show, a podcast for writers who want to advance Christ's kingdom using the written word. Here's your host, Thomas Umstadt Jr. This episode comes with a trigger warning. We are going to talk about social media, politics, culture, and what you as a Christian author uh, should do and can do in a world that is growing more and more hostile to Christian authors. If that's not what you want to hear today, I can recommend a great podcast called Compelled, which is hosted by my friend Paul Hastings. Uh, Compelled takes an incredible stories of what God is doing in people's lives, combines them with professional sound effects and music, and turns them into encouraging, faith-building audio experience. You can travel deep into the jungles of the Philippines with a Christian missionary who was kidnapped by a terrorist and held hostage for a year, or hear the testimony of a mother who was falsely accused of murder and sentenced to life in prison, uh, but still clung to her faith, and so much more. So if you don't want to hear about culture and politics and rather would hear would prefer to hear encouraging stories, check out the Compelled uh, podcast hosted by Paul Hastings. So trigger warning over. And so uh, listen now to Compelled uh, wherever you find your podcast or by visiting compelledpodcast.com. Who knows? You might just find inspiration for your next book from one of these compelling stories. Now, back in 2019, I did an episode titled How to Protect Your Author Platform from Big Tech Censorship. Back in 2019, everyone thought I was crazy. In fact, one listener sent me an email. She said that she was rolling her eyes while she was listening to me talk about how Pinterest was targeting and suppressing Christians. Uh, And then uh, only to about a week later find that Pinterest had deleted her account. Uh, And then in 2020, I did a crossover episode with Novel Marketing called How to Survive Cancel Culture as a writer. And in that episode, we were talking about J.K. Rowling and the uh, pressure that she was getting online, how she was reacting to it, and how to structure your platform in such a way where you are less vulnerable to the whims of the mob. <laughs> and then, uh, and all of that was before the great purge and great flight of December 2020 and January 2021. While some evangelicals are getting kicked off of Twitter and Facebook, many more are leaving those social media sites in protest. And I started a MeWe group, which is one of the competing social networks. It's the new hot social network uh, for my other podcast novel, Marketing, and I saw incredible growth. It was like the early days of Facebook and Twitter, but on steroids. It was like going back in time. Uh, It was really fascinating as I'm seeing many people get off of traditional social networks and get onto these new more friendly social networks. So MeWe, if you're not familiar, uh, doesn't sell advertising, doesn't filter what you see, and doesn't share your data with any shady data brokers like Facebook and Twitter do. And because they don't filter, it's a safer place for Christians uh, to share without being afraid of an algorithm keeping people from seeing what they're posting. But the question is, is, is this the right thing to do? Is leaving to join alternative social networks the right way to respond to a changing world? And to help discuss this and explore this idea, uh, we are going to be talking with Scott Miner, who's the executive director of Realm Makers. Science fiction and fantasy are at ground zero for a lot of these cultural clashes. And I thought Scott, who runs the Wellmakers Conference and organization and interacts with lots of science fiction and fantasy authors, would be the perfect person to talk to. So, Scott, welcome to the Christian Publishing Show. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Thomas. This is going to be a lot of fun. 
I, I want to hear that that other podcast you were talking about. You, you got me interested in that. <laughs> yeah, if you like high quality, um, high production values of background music, you should check out uh, the Compelled Podcast dot uh, com. But for uh, realm makers, how are you navigating this um, clash? Because there's really two schools of thought. There's the we should separate and no longer try to be in a place where we're just being silenced and kicked out anyway. And then there's the, no, we should try to blend in and continue to be in the world, but not of the world. So what are your thoughts? Well, um, thank you for uh, letting me join this conversation. We were pretty fortunate in this as we were in the process of looking for how we want to manage our community more intentionally. But uh, we have created our own dedicated social network for realm makers kind of off-grid so to speak and i'm really really glad that we did because it all kind of happened before it became de rigueur to just leave facebook i mean realm makers was built on facebook that that is how the company was created that's how the community was created and so we thought when realm makers is expending energy to create our community we're going to do it in our own space which is exactly what i was recommending in those episodes that if you're a sharecropper uh, and you're living and working on somebody else's land they are your master and you are powerless and we're seeing that right is everyone like oh facebook would never silence me it's like it may have already silenced you. I have been shadow banned on Facebook. I, my, uh, we moved to a new town and we did a benign post, right? It's like, we're now in a new town, new location. My wife did the post. I did the post, right? It's a standard Facebook update. My wife gets tons of reaction and I get almost no reaction. And I wasn't even saying anything. There was no signal there. It was just kind of a benign, hey, we're no longer living in Austin. We've moved uh, to Cedar Park. But even that, my post was not getting seen like her post was getting seen. The reality is, is that I'm less vulnerable to that professionally. And and your authors are less vulnerable to that, at least for connecting with each other. Realm Makers isn't really a reader-facing community. But as an author, if you're building your community on Facebook, you have to realize that you're building your community on sand. And it's, uh, you know, you can build fast. You're like, man, look at this beautiful beach house I built. It's like, yeah, it's a really pretty beach house, but it's not on the rock. It's not on something that's secure and it could wash away. And you have to be really cautious of social media experts who talk about their short-term results uh, and, you know, from building on the sand. And we see that in Texas, right? There's the, you know, we get hurricanes and it destroys all the houses that aren't built well. <laughs> so you want to listen to the people who've survived a hurricane or two. I've been around watching this. And the reason why I saw this coming was that Facebook has been silencing people since, you know, 2012, 2013. It started doing it a little bit and it's only been growing and growing. So I really do encourage you to listen to those other episodes, do what Realm Makers did, and look into building your own platform, uh, your own community on your own platform, something that you pay for, which is one of the things that I like about MeWe. You pay for MeWe. Uh, well, most of it is free. The way they make money is by selling MeWe to their users, not selling their users to their advertisers. And that is a big difference. But there's a lot of other ways to build your community. Um, but I'm Instead of getting into the technical side of this, because you can Google that, and we'll talk about that on my other podcast, Scott, I'm curious about kind of the, what do you think the cultural impacts are going to be? Because what's happening is that, you know, Facebook and Twitter are becoming kind of for Democrats only, 
and there's these other social networks that are becoming for Republicans only. And there are more and more businesses that will not do business with Republicans, right? If you're a Republican, uh, they're not going to honor your miles. They're not going to honor your points. I think my Republican senator here in Texas um, can't use his Marriott uh, points anymore, right? It's like there's this like splitting of the economy. Uh, and that's also happening in science fiction and fantasy. So walk us through what's happening and that you, from your perspective. Well, uh, perhaps I have a, a bit of a unique perspective because I spend so much time in the middle when it comes to the genres of fantasy and science fiction. I think there's a very unique opportunity that Christian authors have that is obliterated as soon as what they do is considered Christian fiction. But when you write fiction, you write a compelling story, and the best story wins. And when the story becomes about um, your religion, or at least you paint it with your religion, it it seems more shallow and, and closer to propaganda than than a compelling story. So to the degree that Christians are limiting themselves to writing propaganda, that they're not going to make any headway in the general culture in, you know, whether they're trying to win an award or just write a, a winsome story and win somebody's heart uh, or dominate their imagination that they're going to read your next book and your next book. Um, I think Christians are kind of a... a a fighter pilot, well, Christian authors of fantasy and science fiction are on the the front line, you know, fighter pilots in the culture war and, and are able to kind of write a story that you can get under the radar and drop a truth bomb within the context of, a, you know, a zombie dystopian uh, apocalyptic story. So back in the early 2000s, there were two movies that came out that had more or less the same message and similar plots in some way. There's Brokeback Mountain and X-Men 2. And nobody <laughs> watched Brokeback Mountain, right? They knew that it was this preachy movie. And I mean, the people who already supported that and already kind of thought in those lines watched it. But it wasn't a movie that people from outside of that community watched, whereas everybody watched X-Men 2. Right? It was a very pop, not everyone, but it was a very popular kind of mainstream film that made, you know, $400 million in the box office. And so what you're saying is that Christians are trying to make Brokeback Mountain when what they should be trying to make is X-Men 2, something with more mainstream appeal where you're able to persuade people who aren't already agreeing with you. Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah, you made my point very clearly. There's a degree to which you can more uh, effectively and winsomely communicate some things that are true and address things like racism and politics and sexualityism and, and anything that you want to address, whether it's the sanctity of human life, but do it in such a way that people get caught up in the story and they realize the truth because it's told in a way that is convincing in many ways this is a theme that we hit a lot on this podcast which is you know don't be didactic in your writing because didactic writing doesn't work right the first few times i used the word didactic i made a big you know effort to define it right and the christian term is preachy and people don't want to read 
preachy things. They don't want to read preachy things from any side. Um, the, the question, though, is how do we engage with readers to even get them to find out about our books when even the f- forms of communication are separating? So, you know, back when X-Men 2 came out, right, everyone watched their movies at the same movie theaters. Now we get our movies from different streaming services. And depending on, you know, there's a lot of people who don't use Netflix out of protest, right? Because it's got child pornography on it and they don't support child pornography. And so they don't want to support Netflix. There's other people who are fine with that. And they, they watch Netflix and, you know, you can go down, you know, which streaming services that you use and it aligns with your politics. And so, um, it's the same with books, right? The way that people find out about books, the way readers connect with each other about books. From my perspective as a marketer, and this is before they even read the book, this is just you know looking at the cover and the back cover copy online. Um, these communities are fragmenting and, and they're not interacting with each other. And the people who are standing in the middle, neither community seems to be listening to them, right? It's like, hey, you're not one of us. Why should I listen to you? Uh, it's, it's a particularly difficult dilemma that, a Christian author, particularly of fantasy and science fiction, finds themselves in, you know, as far as finding their reader, finding their audience, because their audience is the Christians who went and watched X-Men 2, not the Christians who might have been up in arms and, and, and boycotted Brokeback Mountain, right? Um, our audience is walking into the Comic-Con past the Christians who are picketing Comic-Con, right? There are Christian artists who are engaged in the creative industries that are part of popular culture and are thus picketed by their own, you know, friends and family, unbeknownst to them, you know? And how does a Christian author find their reader when they can't find it in the Christian industry where they are? They try to go to the secular industry. And so where do you find those Christians, which are myriad, who don't go to a Christian place to find their entertainment? Because they recoil as much as the rest of, you know, the general culture recoils from things that are preachy. You know, some people digest Christian fiction because it's Christian. And because that makes them feel comfortable, right? To know that they're reading a story about a Christian or that is produced by a Christian publisher that's like, oh, okay, I can read this because I've checked my boxes and and this is what I'm going to allow myself to digest because I'm avoiding this, I'm avoiding Netflix, I'm avoiding Target, I'm avoiding Disney, right? You can decide everything in the world that you want to avoid, but you're removing yourself from the culture. And I just don't think that's the job of a Christian. Uh, I was on a conversation with uh, Alan Arnold, um, who uh, has worked for many years in Christian fiction. But he said that Christians can't help but create in a way that reflects God. And that isn't limiting. It's it's expansive. You know, it's, a, it's important for Christians to understand that when they create something out of their imagination, it's because... God is a creator, and he took chaos, and he brought order to chaos. And that's what an author is doing. They're taking chaos and bringing order to it in the context of an imaginative story. And when Christians are doing that, it is uh, their stories that can change people's hearts and minds. 
uh, without laying out the good news in b biblical terms in every book, right? Uh, instead of having to having been told that, oh, well, your book isn't Christian enough, in order to be published by a Christian publisher, you need to kind of shoehorn the gospel in there. Can't you redeem this bad character? They should be saved by the end of the book. Um, and that becomes a story that Christians and non-Christians uh, alike, those who enjoy fantasy and science fiction, just don't appreciate. I remember one time we went to this uh, 4th of July parade in like some rural town in uh, Texas, you know, off the beaten track. And they're like, oh, you're Christians, we're Christians too. And uh, one of the one of the people's like, hey, can I share the gospel you know, from your stage, right? Because they had these music events and there was a lot of dead air in between. And they're like, yeah, no problem. So he gets up and they start sharing the gospel. And then as soon as he starts talking about hell, the um, organizers of the event started slowly turning down the volume <laughs> until finally he's there talking into a dead mic. And that... Um, it very much feels like you know he's standing on somebody else's platform right he he was granted this platform and that other person with the platform came control over what he said and they were very happy for him to talk about the cheery parts uh but as soon as he started talking about sin and consequences uh they started turning down the volume and i feel like that's what's happening when we try to reach the culture through the platforms that the culture controls that they're very happy to hear us talk about love and friendliness but as soon as we start talking about um you know sin it was as soon as we talked talking about hell suddenly the volume is gone <laughs> they've turned down the volume on us and you know i'm not saying that you have to talk about hell in, in fantasy but i but it does seem like if we um limit ourselves to platforms that are controlled by others we end up uh, cutting off the portions of the gospel that people don't want to hear that there's a unique opportunity that christian authors specifically of fantasy and science fiction have to tell stories that get through the gatekeepers, right? How, how wonderful would it be? Instead of saying, well, I'm not going to go to that conference because it's run by Mormons, or I'm not going to submit to that award because it's run by atheists. How fantastic would it be if a Christian author writing a story with a, a character who expresses faith, or something that, that, that is just a, a Christian value actually gets in because they decide I'm willing from, to work with an editor that disagrees with me and not pick vites and spar uh, about it. Um, I, they're willing to live in, that, in, the, in the world and exist there, writing fantastic stories, and, and just be a pleasant aroma in that community without throwing fruit at everyone. You know what I'm saying? Uh, it just seems like what, what you asked earlier, you know, how do Christians, how can Christians, you know, uh, sell their books? How can they get out there? And uh, I would say do everything that everyone else in those industries does. When I talk to authors that are successful, you hear them say certain things like, yeah, when I was at Emerald City Comic Con, um, I met so-and-so at New York Comic Con. Um, 
these different events that people go to to make relationships. And you'll look at the Christian industry, Christian publishers who are like, you know, we want to publish fantasy and science fiction, but they don't go where these people are. You're really preventing yourself from entering the community of people that like your books. On our little table runner, um, it says Christian authors, fantastic fiction. And people look at the books and they go like, these are great looking books. What what are the, are the elves, are the dragons Christian? Like, how is this Christian fiction? You know, Christians don't write science fiction. I mean, they're science deniers. Right? And it's like, well, no, we just believe that, uh, that there is a, a creator who created the, the rules and the laws that you're observing. Christians have removed ourselves entirely from this aspect of popular culture, and it shows. And it's where our kids want to be. How dare we not be there? Is it that we've removed ourselves or is it more that we've been removed? Right? You're paying for a booth at those conventions, but you're, but you're not on the stage. Well, I mean, as soon as you have publishing, it, it wasn't always Christian publishing. You know, Christians were in publishing. And as soon as we created this economy, like Christian publishing existed to create Christian things, you know, Bibles, things like that. You know, the Baker Bookhouse has been around since the 1800s. Uh, but there is a point at which it became a Christian economy designed to make money. And it does. And, uh, and it made so much money that it became its own little world. And as soon as it stopped making as much money, it started getting sold off back to secular culture. And so there, there's a lot of Christian publishing that has a landlord. And they, and they, they, they were bought, you know. Um, I don't know to what degree that affects what they publish, uh, but that remains to be observed. I guess actually then the difference is an understanding of history because my understanding of what happened with the industry was that uh, Christian books were less and less welcome in regular uh, bookstores. And so there was a boom in the 80s and 90s of Christian bookstores. And then there were big hits in those bookstores that drove people into the bookstores. And then stores like Walmart, which weren't typically seen as bookstores, but they did have book sections, started putting Purpose Driven Life and Left Behind on the shelves, which then allowed people to go and get their big hits outside of the Christian bookstore. And then later Amazon, obviously, uh, get their big hits outside of the Christian bookstore, which then led fewer people into the Christian bookstore. which then caused the decline of discovery of smaller authors. But it wasn't that Christians left because they wanted to have breakout bookstores. It was that they weren't in or weren't allowed into the bigger bookstores and, and they still wanted a way to reach their readers. Cause there's, there are, there's a big uh, community of readers who are looking for Christian books, um, but they're not able to find those at a, you know, secular independent bookstore. I remember going with a group of authors to a local, uh, to book people, and uh, it's this big, very famous independent bookstore here in Austin, Texas. And they were, you know, it's a three-story bookstore. And the entire Christian section was like one half of one shelf. <laughs> and the, and because it's just a very progressive bookstore. And, and they're like, well, our, our 
you know, customers aren't looking for that kind of book uh, was their defense. And they had, you know, Francine Rivers and they had uh, C.S. Lewis, but they didn't have any of the kind of down ballot <laughs> authors, so to speak. And I don't think that that bookstore, I, I don't think there's any way to get that bookstore to stock more books. I, I don't think more Christians going to that bookstore would cause them to stock more books because they're oriented against uh, Christian authors ideologically. And um, you know, maybe the Christian authors could hide, but I don't think that if you're trying to make a living as an author, you're going to do it by you know appealing to, that, to book people to please stock my Christian book. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right in, in everything that you said. I, I'm speaking more about publishing professionals, like in the publishing industry, um, and and uh, I, I'll be honest with you. Uh, I'm looking at it from from just right now. I, I I'm less in in tune with the history of it as looking at it now as the husband of a fantasy author who kind of just kind of came into this, growing through into what Realm Makers has become now, and stopping and thinking, wait a minute, what happened? What is the obstacle to these Christian authors in the Christian publishing industry getting published? Um, why can't they find their readers? And just trying to dig into what is true uh, about the the economy. So now I think you've answered your question as to where the Christian publishing companies came from, right? If you're stuck in you know a ghetto inside of a big organization that doesn't value what you're doing isn't giving you the resources uh to make something that uh, that will work then the only you know reasonable outcome is to leave right so you can create the things that you're wanting to create that's why there's so many independently published fantasy sci-fi authors in the christian industry you know involved in realm makers it's, it's, there's a ton of indie authors uh, and it's out of necessity. And I don't think that that's a bad thing. I don't think there's anything wrong with going indie. People love the prestige of being with a traditional house, uh, but that's what you get is the prestige. You can often make more money as an indie. You can reach more people, especially if you know how to reach your audience. And you know, going back to you, like, how do you how do you build an audience? Like, you do it one at a time, <laughs> and you build it on a platform that you control. So you don't do it on social media. Uh, you do it through something direct on something that you pay for, and you have to you know have been faithful in little things, and you have to have money to play in the game. This isn't a game that you can play in without any money, uh, unless you want to give somebody else the control. Uh, he who pays the piper calls the tune. So you have to find a reader who loves your writing and then you have to do it again and you have to do it again and your first you know 100 200 readers you know their names <laughs> and you have to write the kind of writing that they would like and that they would like so much that they would buy a copy for their friends not so much that they'll tell you that they like it but so much you're like oh my gosh i loved your book so much i bought copies you know for christmas for you know these four people that i thought would really like it you know what 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 my desire is is to see um Christian publishing or Christian creative companies that the people are Christian and they're excellent, but they decide, you know, we're just going to be a publisher. You know, we're not going to be a Christian publisher. We're just going to be a publisher. We're going to be a movie maker. We're going to be in the industry. We're going to create fantastic stories and focus on just giving the, the general public uh having focusing on them as their audience and not creating Christian stories for digestion by Christian people to be sold in a Christian place 
um, it it removes our influence from the rest of the public discourse. And so that's what I, if I have any influence at all, if I gain any influence at all, it would be to encourage Christian creators and publishers and filmmakers to just be Christian, but to create with the general public as their audience. Because by doing that, you're going you're gonna to find more Christians. Uh, they're there. It's not that, well, we don't want to focus on the people who are non-Christian. We want the people to focus that are Christian. We're, we're, we're stiff-arming uh, most of people who are Christian, and that number's going down and down and down because they don't feel like they uh, want to, that they ascribe to the same definition of Christianity. You know, everybody's uh, definitions are, are losing their meaning which is kind of an oxymoron. Uh, you can use a word, and uh, it's like, you keep saying that word. I, I do not think it means what you think it means. You know, I remember once being asked, so are you an evangelical Christian? And I immediately thought, well, what do you mean by that? That a Christian shouldn't evangelize, or is there some sort of, like, quote-unquote evangelical Christian? So, uh to the degree that we are defining what a Christian is in a way that Christians don't even want to wear that. I think that's a lot of what we're seeing. So um, you're, what you're saying is Christianity needs to be more attractive, that we've made ourselves unattractive and that that's why we're becoming less popular. I'm not saying Christians need to be more attractive or they need to make Christianity more attractive. It needs to be real. It needs to be personal, and that doesn't happen by throwing, you know, words out onto social media, uh, and and uh, in in abusive ways. But because Christianity does come with a moral code, and that moral code is not a popular moral code. You can't just, you know, be like, well, we're going to ignore the unattractive bits of Christianity and only talk about the attractive bits. The thing about a religion is that you have to adopt the whole religion. You don't, like, pick what you want to... I mean, you can create your own religion, but if you're going to adopt somebody else's religion, a pre-existing religion, you get the whole thing, <laughs> or it's not the religion. Well, absolutely. But you don't stand at the door of church throwing rocks at people who... You, you ask them a question, and they don't answer right, and so you start throwing rocks instead of letting them in. So what do you mean by throwing rocks? Let, let's get more specific. On social media. I mean, we're getting back to social media. Okay, so so what do you mean by throwing rocks on social media? Are you talking about like talking about politics? Whether it's talking about politics or say or labeling people and 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 yelling at them. So so what kind of labels? Let's get real specific. What are you, what are you talking about? Well, you're on Parler, therefore you're a Nazi, or you're on Facebook, or you 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 didn't cancel Netflix. Therefore, you know, you watch child porn or, you know, the, taking something that you can identify that's true about somebody and drawing a ridiculous conclusion and then saying, now I don't need to treat you with respect, with human dignity. Um, and it's a whole lot easier to do that um, with, a, you know, with your fingers on a keyboard on social media than it is when you're talking to people individually. It's just a firefight. And, and and you can't win hearts in a firefight. Okay. But I would say most authors that I observe on social media, they're not participating in firefights. They're talking about their books. And their books aren't on those um, 
sensational subjects, right? They're not they're not calling people names because the reality is the name calling is a small percentage, right? You have a small group of people who make a lot of noise uh, with the name calling, and most people aren't participating on that. On every side of every issue, right? Most people are not trolls and every group has its trolls. There's a certain personality type who really uh, enjoys being a troll. And so you have a Christian author. In fact, I observe this a lot uh, working with Christian authors as a marketer. They're not particularly political and they're public facing. Uh, They're not particularly sensational and they're not particularly moralistic, right? They're not taking strong moral stands. And yet they're still, their books are still not popular with the secular audience and it's not because they're wagging their finger calling their audience dirty rotten sinners their audience just doesn't care for books with religious content and if you look at their one-star reviews it's like you know there was religious content in this book that you know was mostly a fantasy or was mostly a romance and there's just little bits of christian content yet that's what's getting uh, the negative reviews right well i'm not saying on the individual basis that it's because those authors are doing any of that it's because of the general flavor of political discourse and associating Christianity with conservatism or or Christianity and capitalism or whatever uh, conclusions are being drawn, um, the discourse is painting anyone. They're looking for any reason to say, oh, well, yeah, you know, whether it's you go to that church, therefore this is what you believe. You're on parlor, there were therefore this is what you believe. They're just they're finding one thing about a person that is true and using that knowledge to cancel or just say I, you are no longer human and deserving of my respect. And I'm going to dox you and I'm going to do, you know, uh, it's happening on both sides. And, and accommodating those bullies and is, doesn't work, right? Trying to hide the fact that you're a Christian, I don't think it works. I, I think the only path forward for Christians is to be unashamed of the gospel, to be unashamed of Jesus, because you're exactly right. They're going to find any excuse. Uh, to throw against you. In fact, I was. I have a small group I go to. We're studying First Peter, and it was talking about persecution. Uh, Peter's talking about persecution and how to handle suffering. And his advice for Christians, uh, and I think it's First Peter three, was to live with a clean conscience so that the people who accuse you will be ashamed. Right? It's a really high standard. Right? Higher than living above reproach, arguably, which Paul talks about somewhere else. It's living to the conscience that you have, you know, guided by the Holy Spirit, right? So that even in your secret life, uh, you, are, you are living with a clean conscience where you're not violating your conscience. And it has nothing to do with accommodating the other side or hiding or, you know, like, oh, well, I won't talk about this. It's like, no, you just yourself be a righteous person, a moral person, a person with a clean conscience, and it's not going to keep them from attacking you. And it's not going to keep you from suffering, right? Paul or Peter's like, you know, it is better to suffer for doing good than it is to suffer for doing evil. I'm like, that makes sense. Uh, but it doesn't mean you're not going to suffer. It doesn't mean you're not going to be persecuted. And I think that us trying to be accepted by the secular world by hiding our Christianity isn't going to work uh, from a practical perspective. Oh, I agree with that. I, I don't think that's what Christians should do. Um, hide their Christianity and kind of be subterfuge. It's more a matter of when, you dis, when you're standing amidst people who aren't Christian, that you 
are simply present and love the people who are, who, who are with you for who they are and not necessarily uh, have to paint every situation that you're in as an opportunity to tell other people that they're wrong and that you're right. Right? There's a there's a time for everything, and it's not when you're in the midst of community. You know, you you just care for people uh, around you, and this is getting you know off of the subject of you know Christians publishing or writing books or what industry that they're in. It just has to do with being a Christian, or you know, without ammunition in your in your pockets. Living in that middle area is dangerous because, like as you know, everybody's throwing rocks, and so when you're in the middle, you're just getting hit on both sides, and that's where I envision Christian authors. That's where I see Christian authors of fantasy and science fiction living. So, for people who want to join you in that middle ground, uh, where can people find out more about Realm Makers? Well, uh, you can find Realm Makers at uh, www.realmmakers.com. If you are a fan of fantasy or science fiction, if you are an author of fantasy or science fiction, you will love the community at at Realm Makers. Um, the dedicated social community that we've created does have an entry point for readers which our Facebook group did not. So the free area and the realm sphere, um, when you come to uh, realmmakers.com, click on community, enter the realm sphere, and uh, you'll be able to join uh, our authors. Well, thank you so much for coming on. You've heard what Scott has to say. You've heard what I have to say. We'd like to hear what you have to say uh, on this topic. This is uh, a very... Uh, timely topic of what does it mean to be a Christian in this uh, convoluted culture. And so feel free to leave a comment at christianpublishingshow.com. Let us know what you think. Be nice uh, in your comments, or at least be respectful. And you don't have to keep from speaking the truth, but do speak the truth in love. And our sponsor today is the Christian Writers Market Guide. If you want to work with an editor or an agent, if you want to find a Christian publisher, uh, Christian Writers Market Guide will connect you with that. If you're looking for a cover designer, it is the complete uh, guide. And one, one of the great things about the Christian Writers Market Guide online is that it's kept up to date with our constantly changing industry. And if you want to know which publishers are owned by a secular company, uh, which publishers are owned by a Christian company, or what kind of books they're looking for, the ChristianWritersMarketGuide.com is the place to go. Scott Miner, Realmakers, thank you so much for joining us today on the Christian Publishing Show. Thomas, thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Christian Publishing Show. For more information and to get episodes delivered to your phone automatically, visit ChristianPublishingShow.com.